Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. Welcome to the Know Your Rights series presented by Newcastle Libraries Real and the Hunter Community Legal Centre and CDAH. The information provided in this session is for information purposes only. It must not be relied on as legal advice. You should seek individual legal advice about your own particular circumstances. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, for they uphold the memories, the traditions, the living culture and hopes of Aboriginal Australia. We acknowledge that under the concrete and asphalt, this land is, was and always will be traditional Aboriginal land. We also wish to acknowledge you if you are an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person. Hi, I'm Duhita Lewis, the Community Legal Education Coordinator at the Hunter Community Legal Centre in Newcastle. I'm Michael Giles, I'm a solicitor with the Hunter Community Legal Centre. And I'm Kath Marnie, um, I am a disability advocate and a peer worker at a local organisation called CEDA. Community Disability Alliance Hunter, and we're an organisation run for and by people with disability. Hi, Kath, and hi, Michael. We'll jump straight into this podcast by looking at some of the changes that COVID has brought about and how much they'll be impacting us moving forward from COVID times. Kath, so we have moved from considerably restrictive times in COVID and um, are seeing a lot of relaxation in rules now. Can you tell us some of the major issues that cropped up for people with disabilities since lockdown? Tahita, I've had several conversations with people with disability during lockdown, and we've been sort of trying to explore some questions about our rights to keep ourselves safe around our support workers. And at the same time, we know that we have responsibilities in making sure that our workers are safe too. And that's been quite challenging as we've all learned together, you know, different information about how the virus does and doesn't spread and that sort of thing. I guess one of the major concerns is around social distancing. So for many people with disability, social distancing is often actually physically impossible. There are people who need assistance to get out of bed, to have a meal, to take their medication. You can't do these things from a metre and a half apart. And then when people are able to leave their homes, they've been really concerned that we might be fined by the police as we're not able to socially distance out of the house either because of our disability. So even if you take me for an example, I'm blind. And so I hold on to the elbow of the person that I'm with when I'm out and about. I might need them to take my hand to show me where things are, like the FPOS machine or the basin in a bathroom. And I guess people have been really concerned about how that would go with the police. Um, hopefully the fear is easing a little bit as we lift some of the restrictions, but I know it really worries people if we um, have a second wave of the virus. Michael, could we actually have trouble with the police if we're not socially distancing, you know, for reasons that are beyond our control? Yeah, you could possibly have it, Kath, because as you've probably seen on the media, there's a variety of ways that the police have been enforcing this. Um, It's also important that even though the restrictions are easing a bit, that the social distancing is still going to be in place for some time. So it is important for people to be aware of that. What I would say, though, is first of all, is that 
with the social distancing, number one is if you're all part of the same household, there isn't any necessary requirement for social distancing. So if you have a family carer who goes out with you, who lives with you, you're all part of the same household. So you can be together without social distancing. If you've got a private or a support person who comes in and you need them when you go out to assist you, you should be okay. You should try and maintain social distancing, obviously, where you can. But if you find that people are saying you cannot, you have to be farther apart or the police are addressing you, you would certainly then want to explain your situation. And of course, that'll be different from person to person. But one of the things that we might recommend, for example, is for support workers who are from an agency is to perhaps have a letter from their agency that explains that they are a support worker and what part of their roles are in that position, including um, what they need to do to assist somebody that would prevent them from maintaining uh, social distancing. So it will vary from uh, person to person, obviously. And hopefully, as we've seen, that the police have said they'll be taking a common sense approach to this. But certainly, if you've got some questions or the police have approached you or have, in fact, fined you, then I would definitely advise that you call the Hunter Community Legal Centre and talk to us more about Some people um, who are perhaps sort of managing their plan on their own or with what we call a plan manager might have support workers coming in who aren't from an agency. So that would be my situation. So we can't necessarily get it on a letterhead. But what I would do is um, at least have my NDIS sort of participant number to show that I have a plan. Um, And also CEDA is happy to give people a letter sort of verifying, if you like, that this person needs support during COVID and and can't socially distance. So I guess it's about remembering that we each have responsibilities to keep each other safe, both the person with disability and our support workers. I know of a situation where a support worker wasn't following the restrictions of social distancing and that person didn't speak to the person with disability about it directly. But the person would kind of mention it when uh, they would talk about the party that they'd been to at the weekend. And that was when we were in lockdown uh, with level one restrictions. So it was pretty kind of bad behaviour. So, Michael, what can the person with disability do in that situation? Well, I would certainly advise that they talk specifically with their support worker about that. And number one, find out what they were doing at a party on the weekend (laughs) um, with the lockdown restrictions. Um, But also making it clear is that these restrictions are in place for a reason, and they are to protect not only the uh, person with the disability, but also the support worker who is there. And especially with the support worker who might be assisting more than one person, that they are putting a lot of people at risk. But again, I would start with the support worker, air your concerns to the support worker, talk about what you would feel safe with and how they could best assist you um, and keep you safe. And this would be particularly important for some people with disabilities or chronic illnesses that make them more susceptible to the coronavirus. But talk with them. If you're not having any luck with the support worker, um, if that person is through an agency or through the NDIS, is you could then take that up a step up uh, and speak to your coordinator of supports and go from there. You might have more difficulty if it's a family member 
or uh, somebody that's supporting you uh, who is a friend, that you're going to have to deal with them directly and then remind them that there are these restrictions are in place to keep everybody safe. Did you know that you can find law handbooks, tenants' rights manuals and other helpful legal information and links in the Newcastle Library's e-library? Look for business, law and consumer information on our website. So, Michael, if you've tried these options, um, you've been to your coordinator of supports, you've spoken with the worker, you've maybe gone to the service provider that they work for and you can't resolve the situation, and can you tell the worker that you don't want to continue working together? Particularly, as we said before, if the person with disability has um, increased health risks. Can we tell them that it's not going to work? Oh, you certainly can. You are a consumer of these services. The NDIS pays for them, but you're the consumer. So you do have a number of consumer rights. And if you believe that that service or organization or that particular worker isn't providing you with your plan under the NDIS or who is stepping outside of the bounds of what should and shouldn't be done, then you certainly have ways to, again, I would escalate it to the agency, to the coordinator of supports. If you're not successful there, then you can take it to the NDIA mm-hmm. um, and and look at that and, and provide your concerns to your NDIA. If it requires something further, you have to put something into place then it may take quite some time with the NDIA. And that's a concern with the COVID situation. Things changing so rapidly, you might not be able to address the situation as fast as you'd like. So, Michael, I know of some instances, especially in the early days of COVID, where service providers were not sending workers to support people with disability. That was because they were concerned about their workers' safety, which we can certainly understand, but it did leave the person often in dire straits, the person with disability. So what can the person with disability do when this happens? Well, a lot of what we said before, Kath, is they would have to go to their coordinator of supports and talk about that. Um, But unfortunately, because of the rapid nature that everything changed, is that can be difficult and the system isn't set up to respond quickly. So there certainly should be a complaint made and some discussion about that. But unfortunately, from the legal side of things, you're not going to be able to deal with that very quickly. So that still leaves people um, in a very vulnerable situation without support. So I guess in the meantime, um, if the service provider isn't giving you what you need, you might need to find other service providers and support workers, you know, from other services. If you get stuck and you're in an emergency, you can contact CEDA um, and we have what we're calling the Hunter Supports Hub. So if we're finding that people just literally cannot get out of bed or get the very um, sort of emergency supports, you can contact us and we'll try and find you um, a worker. I would think that a lot of people would be even concerned about their family members and their family members being concerned about, you know, um, support workers coming in. Uh, Kath, have you come across anybody who's had, you know, to worry about the health and safety of their family members during these times? I have, Tahita. I guess it's really, really important. So I've spoken with a few people. Um, I know of some family members of people with disability who have decided that just as a blanket thing, support workers can't enter their homes. As I say, in lots of cases, there are good reasons for this. Certainly the advice in the 
beginning stages was that the less people you come in contact with, the less likely we are to contract the virus. And that's, of course, why we're socially distancing and sometimes isolating. So, yeah, some people with significant health issues um, have decided that they need to make the team as small as they can. And in some cases, they've had to decide that just one person will support the person with disability and they actually isolate together. So this is more often likely to be a family member. There are also other people I know of who might have to have moved somewhere different because of not being able to get the support where they were before. They might have had to go back to their family. And this really makes things more difficult for everyone concerned because not only does it mean that the family members are providing sort of more support than they might have been doing, that can impact on the relationship of the person with a disability and and their family member. And, of course, we have to factor in the health and well-being of both of those people, the person with disability and the family member. And sometimes, you know, this might not be a, a legal thing necessarily, but sometimes people don't have the same freedom and they might be getting emotional support from their support worker and that might not be happening at the moment. Yeah, and it means a lot of changes for everyone involved. And then I know that people with disability and their family members are really worried about whether they'll lose some of their support workers and they'll have to rebuild their team because um, some people have worked really hard to get the team that they need and want. There are a lot of issues to think about there. Certainly if there are some stress and strain that then results in something more serious. So for example, some neglect or abuse in circumstances, Mm -hmm. then Certainly in most cases, you would need, you'd want to call the police to start out with. But if you are worried about that, if you're worried about not getting the support you're needed, or you're worried about the behavior of support workers or family members, and you're not quite sure what to do, you can certainly call the legal center to get more advice in relation to that. CDAH would love to hear from you if you want to connect with other people with disability. You can email us at info at cdah.org.au and like us on our Facebook page. Michael, what about when, uh, say, a person with disability might have to go to the hospital because for maybe COVID or any other reason, many hospitals and health facilities are restricting visiting hours and who can be with the patient. That creates like a lot of additional um, difficulties and risks to the person with disability who needs advocacy and support from a family member or maybe even someone they trust. Uh, so can the person with disability or their advocate insist that they need to have this person with them at all times during their hospital stay? Again, we have to remember that a lot of these rules are put in place to protect people, particularly frontline health workers at hospitals. But the key to this, like we've been talking about throughout this conversation is communication. Talk with the people at the hospital, explain the situation, explain the the disability. It will always vary based on that and see if something can be worked out in a way that's going to be satisfactory. I would certainly say that people should plan for these things. We would have hoped that we planned a little bit better for COVID-19, but Everyone needs to be looking at their future and especially if you're somebody that's particularly vulnerable to health issues is you should should be looking at enduring guardianship, advanced care directives, other things like that that might put you in a better position to advocate 
that you have a support worker or that you have a family member or somebody else to be there um, while you're in hospital. And those are some things that if you wanted some further advice about, you could again call the legal center to discuss and we could hook you up with services that provide that kind of assistance and documentation. So Michael, if it was a person advocating for themselves and just wanting to make sure that the hospital knew what they needed to know about them, they could still come to you for that, even if they didn't have enduring guardianship and things in place yet, they could still come and talk to you. Certainly, if there's any questions and people have about their rights in relation to whether they can and cannot access services, they should always be giving us a call. And one of the things that's being considered, and there's a bit of a wide call for, is a hospital passport, which I think is something that's already happening in the UK. Um, And there's a real push for it in Australia. And that's really just following on from what you are talking about, that all the documentation and all the things that the hospital needs to know, the health workers need to know, to make sure that person is actually safe in hospital if they can't communicate using words to tell the healthcare workers what they need. It's another way of doing what you're suggesting, which is that everything you need is in the one place. Yeah, and I guess we can see that COVID has really raised some issues and some of these issues have not even been addressed before and they're just surfacing right now. But I guess if you're facing any specific issues which go beyond this general information, you can always call the Hunter Community Legal Center. If you would like some peer support, you can always contact uh, CEDA and the Hunter Support hub. So that would be a good uh, option for people as well. Thank you, Kat, for raising such relevant issues. And thanks, Michael, for providing us with this valuable information. And thank you for listening. Access to justice and knowing your rights is what really matters to us. If it matters to you too, please share the Know Your Rights series on Newcastle Library's Real with your friends and rate us and review us on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Know Your Rights series presented by Newcastle Libraries Real, the Hunter Community Legal Centre and CDAH. We hope this has raised your awareness. If you've got a topic you'd like us to cover, you can email us at admin at hunterclc.com.au. This has been a Newcastle Libraries Real production. 